We all like movies. We all, you know, I love uh, going to a movie and right as it's starting, you know, the lights just, you know, they start to go down. And, uh, and what, what is the first thing that pops up? You know, the green screen. It's the preview for another movie. And the first, the first word out of the narrator's mouth, one man against all odds. Victory is his. We, we love those stories where it's like one person or one group of people, this, this underdog you know, type, type figure. And then like, against all odds, all these conflict and, and, and things building up and building up, everything stacked against them. The cards just completely stacked against them. They win. All these great stories. Now, there's so many of these great stories about the least likely of heroes uh, being the victor in the face of insurmountable odds. You know, the things like, you know, I always talk about, you know, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit is one great example of this. Um, Star Wars. It is a little rebel alliance taking on the Empire or the First Order. Uh, Avengers. This, this small band of, of warriors taking on all these enemies, the universe, this great evil. Home Alone. <laughs> this little kid is left at home and against two robbers, two adult burglars, he's able to have the victory because he turns one into a chicken <laughs> and smacks them in the face with, with paint cans. Right? Mighty Ducks. Gotta love the Mighty Ducks. Have you ever seen the Mighty Ducks? If you've never seen the Mighty Ducks, watch the Mighty Ducks. It's a great movie. Rudy, 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 Rudy. Love that movie, Rudy. Santa Claus, odd. <laughs> Tim Allen can be the Santa Claus. Mulan. Hamilton, I'm not going to miss my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. Alexander Hamilton and this group of rebels taking on the entire English army, just even our own history and history itself, the American Revolution. These great stories of great trials, true stories, fiction, they awe and inspire us. But there's no greater underdog story than the truest story of all, not based on a true story, but an actual story, an actual reality the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scripture itself is not some fantasy, not some myth, but it's all about showing how God, God loves to use people. This is what the scriptures are all about. This is the glory and the joy of our faith. It says, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing, what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties, for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Bible, from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, 
is all, and all throughout history. You think about great figures like St. Nicholas and Martin Luther to Billy Graham to us today. Is the epic true story that God loves the underdog. God loves to use the underdog to do incredible things. God loves the underdog and in order to make great things out of them. Why? Because God knows that we can't do it. And so he shows himself to be great through our weakness, through our human inability. God desires to be glorified and for us to have joy because uh, of sin, sinful how, you know, how sinful humanity was and is and is incapable of doing either glorifying God or being used for his purposes without his interruption, without him interceding, without his intervention. So what did God do? He interceded. He came near. He came forth. And that's what the story of Luke 1, chapter, 20, chapter 1, verses 26 to 56 is all about. The virgin birth of Jesus being foretold here this morning. Now, we're going to get a little bit of a, an anatomy lesson this morning, if we will. Does everyone know how babies are made? Everyone? Everyone know? I, mean, I have a diagram. Uh, just kidding. Uh, hopefully everyone paid attention in health class. Uh, so we know how babies are made. Sexual intercourse creates babies. And babies only come from sexual intercourse. Millions of people for thousands of years have wrestled and struggled with this concept of the virgin birth. The fact that Jesus had no earthly father, but that he had divine father and Mary, a physical mother. This has been a, a point of, of wrestling, but we proclaim these weird truths today. We pro proclaim this as, a, as part of our apostles' creed. The, 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 main, the main creed of the Christian church has in there, we believe in the virgin birth. We believe that Jesus was born this way, legit, 100%. Trying to figure out any other, any other you know, millennial speak that I can throw in there. Um, we proclaim these truths. This story is told um, specifically in only two gospels, Matthew and Luke, uh, in, dramatic, in, in completely dramatically different ways. You know, for Matthew, it, he's big on the Jewish male descendancy and prophetic fulfillment uh, of, of a, a being the, the I'm sorry, the, uh, and, and the nature of everything, including, you know, specifically like Joseph. He focuses more on Joseph and the Magi and Herod, all the male figures from, from, pro, from prophecy and in the story. But Luke, Luke focuses on this. He is all about the underdog. In all of its facets, every, every which way, the least likely not only being a part of the story, but being a crucial, pivotal character in Jesus' story. Specifically in this instance, these last two that we've talked about, Elizabeth and now Mary. Women in that culture were not praised as great fulfillments of things. 
a validity of stories. And yet Luke chooses to name women over and over and over again, which makes Jesus and the gospel, according to Luke, an incredibly scandalous account. Because at every, at least to them, to the original audience that was this was written to. But it's beautiful because it's showing how the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, is all about equality. It's all about elevating one another to the same level. As Paul would later say, showing no partiality. There's no difference anymore between Jew and Gentile, Greek and, and Scythian, and male or female, or rich or poor, or wealthy and not wealthy, or you know, prominent and, and unprominent. Luke, at every point, is showing how God loves the underdog in order to raise them up in perspective, to co-seat them with Christ. That's the whole purpose of the gospel story is that God raised us, humanity, up to his level by being born part of us, by being born human. He died and rose again from the grave so that we would be, instead of being natural, we would be supernatural, superhuman, like him. We would be like Jesus in all of his forms. He would later say, partakers of the divine nature. And so at every point, Luke keeps going back to that. And so, but this is actually, so this difference between the two accounts, so Matthew and Luke, is actually a huge part of its validity. Of, of the evidence as to why it's such a, a huge and true story. So for instance, so keep going. I always go back to, to Gibbs. Uh, Gibbs, rule number one, is never let suspects stay together in the same room. So when you, when you get suspects from, from, from a case, you separate them right away because you want to interview them individually so that their stories will what? Corroborate which means to strengthen or support with other evidence or to make certain. So that's not the same story as Matthew. It is the same story, but told in greater detail from a different angle that talks about the same story, the same figures, the same timeline, the same point in history. So this corroborates the story. Two differing accounts to coincide that don't conflict are corroborating accounts. So this story was widely known for decades and shared through in the early church, not some myth invented you know, several generations later. Um, so why would these, think about that. If, if, this, if this story was a myth, if the virgin birth of Jesus was false, why would they write about it and die to protect it? That makes no sense. They wrote these things to be because they believed them to be true. Specifically Luke. Because as we learned a couple weeks ago, Luke is writing from a historian background where he didn't experience the, any of these things himself. What he did was he went back later and went and interviewed all these people. So again, I remind us, where do we hear the story of this? Of Luke 1 from Mary. From Mary's lips to Luke's ears, to Luke's pen, to now to our ears, 2,000 years later. But we are hearing Mary's account of 
the birth of Jesus, the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. It's validity, it's truth, it's power. And they, they believed it so much that they were willing to die for it. So let's go through this passage a little bit. So verse 26, the sixth month, uh, Elizabeth's pregnant. So what, what's sixth month? What, what is this talking about? Well, we get to the, the setting for this in the verse right before. Uh, after these days, his wife, conce- Elizabeth, uh, conceived and herself was in, con- was in seclusion for five months. And so this is where we get our timeline for what it talks about in the sixth month. So this is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy right here. So Gabriel, um, you know, as, as I said, this is the same angel that visited Zechariah in the, in the chapter before, or in, in the section right before this, which is also the same Daniel, as we talked about last week, is the same Daniel, I'm sorry, same Gabriel from the book of Daniel that came and prophesied to Daniel at, during the exile. And so this, this, this story is, is taking place with miraculous things. The same angel that, what, is he, what did he say about himself? I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. This is a dude who like probably is, you know, God the Father's throne's here, Jesus' throne's here, angel Gabriel there. Like, can be like, what's up Jesus? You know, talk to, talk to God himself. He has a place to speak to God daily. This is who Gabriel is, and this is what uh, Mary is experiencing. Um, so Galilee, you know, it was sent to God. It was sent by God to a, ta- in a to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. So Nazareth is a real place you can go visit today. I went and visited visited it back in 2011, and they've got all these different places. The place where Jesus, the Annunciation, where she was like the angel where she used to live, and you can go and visit it. You can go and visit the place where Jesus grew up. There, there's a cave. There's a grotto. You can look at. You can see where Jesus was raised as a child. You can go and touch these places, these things today. It is a real place. Um, and so, it, but it's interesting. Like we talked about, even even you know, from from the wars, from from King Herod to the peaceful you know temple with with Zechariah. But now, even we go from the temple, now what do we, where do we go? To Galilee and Nazareth. The camera pans again, even further away from prominence, into the wilderness, into the countryside. You can almost hear the... And there's this calm, there's this... Life slows down. It's like going from Washington, D.C. to Salt Lake City, now painting to Belgrade. Just progressively going down. Or even like going from, you know, New York to Belgrade, then to Norris. Does anything good come from Norris? Except for the hot springs, maybe. Unless they go on nudie night. That's weird. Does anything good come from this small, itty-bitty, podunk town that no one knows of or doesn't even exist there? Unless you drive through. Unless you're going swimming, that's right. But so, so verse, verse 27, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now the, the, we'll, we'll get to the virgin birth here, the virgin part in here in a little bit, but betrothed, uh, engaged. So this, 
This is more than you know, 21st century. This is basically, they would have to get a certificate of divorce if they were going to break off this betrothalment. So this was basically like engagement, between get engagement and married. They would basically have converged all of their finances. They would be, she would be considered his wife already, but just without the live-in privileges yet. Um, and so this was, this was a binding con you know, covenant between them already. Um, so Mary and Joseph. Uh, let's just talk about their names. So they're two super common names. And this goes to the story, like the underdog. Like they don't even have like names that are special. I mean, we, it seems like every day, everyone nowadays is trying to name their kids something that no one else has. Like when we named Jackson, I was thinking, oh, we were thinking, oh yeah, like my grandfathers both were named Jack. And Amberlynn has a, has a grandfather named, a great grandfather named Jack. So we're like, oh, cool, a cool legacy name, Jack's son. So we named him Jackson. Thinking, okay, we're we're being cool, and you know they're not really cool, but uh, <laughs> and so, but then we someone I was we named him that, and like the next day or the next week or something like that, someone sent us a, a thing that said like the the most popular names in 2015 when Jackson was born, the number one name that was popular that year was Jackson. <laughs> like in my generation, Jennifer's and Sarah's and Michael's and and were like the prominent name. Everyone's got it. I mean, write, read the Bible. Every page you read it, reading about a Mary. Mary this and Mary that. Mary the mother of Jesus. Mary the mother of, the, of James. And Mary, Mary, you know, Magdalene. And Mary this. And everyone's named Mary or Joseph during those days. Uh, in Palestine, all that. And so it's, it's a very common name. Again, going back to the, these were not special people, even by their name. They blend in. The house of David. That'll become important here in a little bit. Um, verse 28 and 29. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favorite woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled and confused by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Distressed through and through, that word uh, means, you know, going back and forth between you know, her inner thoughts and her emotions. You know, no one knows what that feels like, to have wrestling in your emotions about what you think about a certain subject. No one knows that thing. Seems like that's basically describing 2020. <laughs> Every, everything we talk about this year has, we just keep going back and forth, back and forth between mind and heart and emotions. She was troubled. She kept going back and forth with this. Um, verse, verse 30 and 33, 333. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. It's interesting. The angel doesn't respond this way necessarily because she was afraid. It never tells us that Mary was afraid. Which is interesting if you think about it, because every time an angel shows up, what does it say about the person they show up to? And they were freaking out. They, they cowered to the ground. They threw themselves before, you know, on the ground because they were afraid. They threw themselves back. But Mary was just troubled by his greeting. Maybe because the angel appeared to her in a different way. Maybe because God had already been setting the stage for her great faith. We don't know. But what did he say? Do not be afraid. Could be also be a preamble. Don't be afraid for what I'm about to tell you. You have found favor with God. 
not because of anything that she had done. Finding favor from God isn't a reward because of things done. It's always a, it's always a pronouncement, an announcement of, that, of God's choice, like grace. We have found favor with God. Nothing because of what we did. We couldn't earn God's favor. None of us can earn God's favor. Mary couldn't earn God's favor. She didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. She couldn't earn God's favor. She was, God's favor was laid upon her because of God's divine grace for her and love for her. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Jesus. This is the first part in, in, that, we, that we hear this name, Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Well, Jesus... Or it comes from the Hebrew Yeshua. Ha Yeshua. And so this word, so Jesus actually comes from, so you know, the Greek is, is Jesus, and the Latin is Jesus. And so it, it means God saves, or God delivers, or God heals, brings to healing, brings to, to wholeness. That's what this word means. It's this, this restoration of wholeness, this restoration to that shalom. That this was always talked about um, in the times of the judges. They were deliverers. They were saviors. They were healers. They were bringing, you know, coming in to bring shalom, bring flourishing back to God's people. And what does it say about Jesus? What, is, what does it say in this in the scripture passage that he will be the you know the son of the Most High? He will establish his Jesus's identity, the throne of his father David. His majesty as a king as royalty and then his kingdom will have no end so establishing jesus's eternity that he is the king of kings the lord of lords establishing it right here at the beginning with the pronunciation of his name that's why this is the the name above all names that's why peter and james and john and, and the, all the, the the apostles and and the early church our early brothers and sisters in christ they were persecuted and commanded to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus that is powerful. Now, I'm not just saying, you know, is it Jesus or Yeshua? Or because there's like debates going on online all the time, like, oh, you should call him Yeshua because Jesus is blah, blah, blah. little snooty, you know, snooty pants. But it's 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 about what the name means. It means that God heals, that God saves, that his identity is the son of the most high. That's basically saying Yahweh without saying it. And this is kind of the flip from the childhood of Jesus to the divinity of Jesus. Think about when he was being crucified. What did they put above him in multiple languages? The king of the Jews his royalty, who he truly is, the king in the, in the line of his, his father, King David, 
Because they, they, you know, the, the Jewish mind during this time would see and hear this as a proclamation of right to rule, of right of authority over his people. And so they put, it, put this up there kind of almost mockingly, Pilate did. But it, was, it never were truer words written on someone's death certificate than the king of God's people. This Jesus is the king of kings on his throne, ruling over and reigning at the Father's side. Ruling and reigning today. That we are in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, here today because Jesus was born and became a man, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and was raised again to eternal life. Now, how does Mary respond to this great declaration of Jesus' identity, majesty, and eternity? What does she say? Mary asked the angel, well, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relationships with relations with the man. Basically, she's asking how. Good question. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of confused here, angel. Um, how is this going to happen again? No, because she, she understood it as immediate. It wasn't like this, okay, cool, that's great. You know, when I want to get married, when Joseph and I come together, I'm excited for this, angel. This is wonderful. Well, she said she understood it as oh, now. Like, this is going to happen, like, today. It's like, um, I, the, there's a problem, you know, physically and, you know, and, you know, and, and, and anatomically, you know, anatomy, and, 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 and Angel, do you know anatomy? Um, do you know, did you take health class? Well, what did, what did she, what did she, what was his response to her? He said, the other angel applied to her by saying these things, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But it's interesting to, to note the difference of the language between her, her question, how, and Zachariah's how, question of how from last week. He asked, well, how can I know? How can I know this thing? Prove it, angel. I doubt you, so you need to prove it because now you've got the burden of doubt, the burden of proof. But Mary's just saying, could, could you explain this to me? I, I want to know. I'm cool with this, but just tell me how it's going to happen. Tell me how this is going to go down. That's why I don't think that there was any kind of like divine judgment, like divine discipline. Like she didn't ask the question, and all of a sudden, like Gabriel's like, "Up, oh, Zacharias, the same question. You too. You're gonna be, you're gonna be silent now, and deaf. Like Zachariah. Good job, you guys. Where's your faith? No, he, because her question was, how can this be? How is this gonna happen? Seeking for information, uh, looking, you know, instead of looking for proof. Um, verse thirty-five. Is his response. He says this, The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One will be born, uh, Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your, your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her who uh, was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. As we say, we believe in the, in, in the Apostles' Creed, the virgin birth, the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. These creeds 
are reflections uh, about that which we have come to believe is true beyond any shadow of doubt because of the testimony of Mary. Now, some, some, some places in some, some religions in our world actually pose that this is a story of God the Father coming down to earth and having sex with Mary. That you know, he, you know, the Most High, will, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the, and the power of the, of the Most High will overshadow you, basically, kind of try, basically sexualizing this encounter. But that's not what these words are meaning. That's not the concept of which we're talking about here. That's not its meaning. That, that actually, that, that root of thinking actually comes from paganism. And you think about you know, this paganism, uh, this pagan history with these different gods, you know, going back and forth and, you know, Zeus having sex with this god and giving this god and, you know, all this weird, you know, nefarious, you know, just illicit sex going on among all the pagan gods. And, you know, so when they, when they you know, give birth, there's a son of God that's born, right? Is the fruit of adultery and cheating and the, the pagan gods, you know, going crazy up there. But this is not what we're talking about. A lot of, you know, these History Channel things will, will pose that. They'll be like, well, this, you know, the, the myth of Jesus comes from the myth of, you know, Zeus and the pagan pantheon and these different religions. But this has nothing to do with the pagan religions. If anything, it's saying those are crap. This is true because this actually happened. This is truth with a capital T. We're not talking about some adult-themed pagan myth. God did, did not come down to have sex with Mary. This word, I love this, this these words, come upon and overshadow. These are the same words that are translated in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the, New of the Old Testament from Genesis 1. When it's talking about the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit hovering over the nothingness. It's creation power. This overshadowing, this coming upon, this is, is God coming upon Mary in the power of creation upon her to create life, to bring ultimate life, a new creation out of her, out of Jesus. N.T. Wright says, God's promises can be relied on even when they blow holes in our natural human expectations. The Holy Spirit had to do this because you know, to do exceedingly more or greater things than Mary could ever even do or dare to ask or imagine herself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what we believe for us today in the, in the new covenant. On the, on the opposite side of this is that we believe that now that God's Spirit has been unleashed on, on mankind, on us in the church, we fulfill, you know, Joel 1, you know, Joel 2, you know, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. This is what God's Spirit does. He comes upon people to empower us to do exceedingly greater things that we could ever dare to ask or imagine. Things that were never even possible without His Spirit upon us. Mary could never have given birth to God apart from the Holy Spirit. And how does she respond? I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. 
May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. May it be, or let it be, according to your word. This is the, the being section. You know, the first question is, the you know, this is how things will be. You know, the angel came to say. And then she said, well, how will this be? And then the angel said, well, here's how this will be. And then Mary said, all right, may it be. This is great faith. The village teenager is more responsive to the promise of God's supernatural power than the Jerusalem priest. What is impossible with humans is possible with God. It starts or begins with God's desires. And Mary is responding. Let what you say happen to me. It starts with what God wants. And what does she say? I am the Lord's servant. I'm here to do whatever you want. And it's this posture that we have in our lives. This is the posture that for, for us that we can hear from Mary. Let it be, God. What is your desire? Let me hear from you. What do you want, God? I want to serve you. I'm your servant, Lord, because I know that your way is better. I know that you are the God who saves. You are the God who heals. You are the God who delivers. So let it be to me according to your word. And let me know your word. 39 through 45. Elizabeth, in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Of Ju- I'm sorry, of Judah, where she entered Jack- Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me? This is awesome that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Mary didn't do anything except for say, hey, hey, Elizabeth. And all of a sudden, the rush of the Holy Spirit and prophecy came upon Elizabeth. And she was prophesying. Prophesying. She didn't know any of this. There's no reason for her to to know that Mary was coming or what was happening with Mary, that Jesus was going to be born inside of her belly. There's no reason for Elizabeth to have known any of this except for the power of the Holy Spirit. But I love this. Before John himself was even born, because John, John the Baptist was in her her, her womb. Before John was born, he was already at work proclaiming, behold the Lamb of God who comes in the name of the Lord. This was Mary's sign. What was Zacharias? Discipline, being mute and deaf. What was Mary's sign? Elizabeth. And the fact that this woman who was called childless, that she knew, there was no reason for her to know any that, that Elizabeth was pregnant outside the voice of the angel. So she went to check it out. She's like, all right, I'm going to go pursue this sign to make sure that this is, because this is kind of a big deal. Getting pregnant out of wedlock you know, it's kind of a big deal in this society. I could be stoned, God. This was Mary's sign. And, and you think about the, the amount of relief 
when when she cried out and she and, and Elizabeth responded, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. She's like, oh, thank God this is this was true. Thank God it was God that said these things. Because otherwise this would be a really weird conversation with Joseph. It's still gonna be a really weird conversation with Joseph. But thankfully an angel came to visit him too. And then what does she do? She sings. She sings. I can even see her have, reading, have written this song when she was staying there for those six months. For those three, I'm sorry, three months. Three, three months. You know, this is the prophetic song she sings because of the fulfillment of God's words, of Gabriel's words to her. And Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of, our, of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. This is reminiscent of Hannah's prayer, another barren woman motif like we talked about last week in 1 Samuel 2. And both of these, these songs, both of these prophecies, both of these exclamations of God's glory centralize around the main theme of God's choice of the despised and downtrodden over the world's natural expectations. God loves to bring the lowly, bring up the lowly, and bring down the arrogant. God loves this. We are, we right, us today, are living proof of this. What does he say in Ephesians? This, this is probably, I'm getting to understand that this is, I quote this thing all the time. So this is probably my favorite, you know, verses in scripture. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, we, which you previously walked, according to this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the emotions of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath. Others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his, greatest, his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved, healed, delivered, restored by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For you are saved by grace. Why? Why were you saved by grace? Why, when we we're dead in our trespasses and sins? Why does it say, but God? Because God loves the underdog. We were all underdogs. Some of us might still be. 
And this is God's call to you to say, believe. Believe in me. Number one, what should we do? Take God at his word. He said it. Believe it. Take God at his word. Say, God, I'm reading your word, and I'm receiving it. I'm reading it. I'm understanding it. Help me to believe. Help me to have faith. I'm reading it. I'm hearing it. I'm feeling it. And God, I'm going to trust it. I'm going to believe. This Jesus that would be born is the most person, most important person ever born. Believe in him. Believe in him. If you have not come to faith in Jesus yet, believe in him. Place your faith in Christ. Be baptized and join the kingdom of God, the kingdom of hope, the kingdom of joy, the kingdom of peace, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God. Because he loves you. He died on the cross and rose from the dead for you. And us who have believed and joined his kingdom, believe. Believe that. Sometimes the most difficult thing to do in the midst of, 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 of challenging circumstances is to truly take God at his word and believe it. And then walk in the victory. Walk in his victory. Walk in his triumph. This is us saying, may it be to me according to your word, God. May what you have said in your word be true. May the gospel of grace, the gospel that all of my sins have been washed away, that I have been raised in the newness of life, that you have seated me in the heavenly realms, that you have poured out your spirit upon me, and that you have great love for me. May that truth be evident as I walk through this life, as I walk by your spirit, as I walk in your victory, Jesus Christ. Why? Well, think about it. Abraham, she talks about Abraham in the song. Abraham believed. And what? It was accounted to him as righteousness. Mary believed. She gave birth to God. We believed. And we received eternal life and joy. This is the glory. This is the joy that comes from believing taking God at his word, believing and walking in your identity in Christ. Your identity, Christ's majesty, and our eternity with him. Come to faith. Walk in faith. Because God loves the underdog. This is the glory. This is the hope Think about that. What divine victory could the Lord walk in and through you if you believed and took hold, took God at his word, no matter what human inability you think you have? When you say, you say it. May it be according to your word because I am your servant. Imagine. Lord, we come before you today and, and ask, God, that you would remind us of your love for the underdog. Remind us that you take what is seemingly insignificant in the world, in the world's eyes, and you elevate it to great things. 
that we are truly the underdog in life. But yet because of your power, because of your love, because of your hope, because of your joy, your peace, and who we are in you, we can walk in that victory. We can, we can walk through this life without fear. We can walk through this life without anger. We can walk through this life without comparison to others. We can walk through this life with hope that confuses the world around us because it's not based on circumstances, God. It's based upon you. It's based upon who we are in you because of who you are, God. So Lord, I pray that you would empower us with that spirit to walk in your spirit, to walk in your victory. And Lord, we pray for your grace to guide us, to walk, to remind us, Lord Jesus, of the grace that we live in. And Lord, the, the love that you have for us. Help us to walk in that, Lord. Help us to walk in that, in this, in this crazy generation. Not just in this season of Christmas, but Lord, every day that we would proclaim your greatness, that we would proclaim your love to those around us by our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.